dive into Revelation 3. Good stuff here today. I'm going to start off by asking you um, a quick question. A quick question about a statement we've all heard and said probably dealing with this regret of the past uh, thing that we all experience. What would you say if somebody said, for you to answer all those things in the category of, I wish I knew then what I know now. I wish I knew then what I know now. <laughs> those are weighty words, aren't they? Fateful words. And uh, Rod Stewart wasn't the only one to sing about them and say something about them. These are words of regret if we knew all of the nitty-gritty details of our lives. These are words of regret that tell stories of poorly timed behavior, undone deeds, thoughts that should have stayed thoughts. I wish I knew then what I know now. I know for me personally, I wish I had known that words carry great power to either heal or to hurt. Because I know I've taken full advantage of the power of words to hurt. And I've not yet taken enough advantage of the power of words to heal. Ephesians 4.29 is a really cool verse that says, no, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up others, that it may benefit those who listen. And the NIV is how it says it. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words are able to give grace and extend God's goodness to people as they hear them. I wish I'd known that truth earlier. I bet many of you feel the same way. Another truth I wish I had known earlier was that a daily time of prayer in the Word is the single most critical factor in our long-term in our long-term joy. Deep and abiding joy in our relationship with God is what feeds us and gives us purpose in life. And I know that I have been hindered in that because of my own addiction to people and getting praise from them as if praise from men was the goal of my life. I know many of you have probably experienced that too. And we manipulate relationships in our world in various ways because we do that from people when we should only be getting that from God. I wish I had known that then like I know that now. Because it would have changed some of my behavior. I'm sure like me, you have a long list of things that fall in that category. A long list of embarrassing or shameful or hurtful things you've done or said. There's no shortage of sin in the world and our lives are no exception. The problem, of course, is that when we're younger, we think we've got forever. We think we've got plenty of time. We think we've got forever to make things right. Forever to save for the rainy day. Forever to make things right. Forever to make up with whomever we've wronged or to make up for lost time. But friends, the truth of the matter, for young and for old alike, regardless of one's experience in life, is that we do not have forever. Time is ticking. Revelation is a big picture of how that's the case for us. Time is ticking, and the Lord's patience will someday end. And 2 Peter 3 is this really cool chapter that talks about how the Lord's patience will someday end. It's this all, chapter all about the issue of the Lord's patience and His grace to us while we are waiting for Him to come back. 2 Peter 3.15 says, Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. In other words, today, now is the day of salvation. This is the time for grace to be accepted and be extended from Him to us. 
And God's grace is being extended to us in this very moment in that he doesn't squash us like a bug for our rebellious sin against him by which we throw our fists in the air at him. That's grace that you and I are experiencing right now for him not to do what we deserve. And the time for preparation for that, the warning is now that it comes later. 2 Peter 3.17 says, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, in other words, knowing that he will come like a thief suddenly when you do not expect it, you, therefore, beloved, knowing, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. Friends, God's patience will end. And woe to the one who on Judgment Day looks back and says, I wish I knew then what I know now. The Christians in Laodicea were lucky. This letter that was written to them in Revelation three fourteen to 22 warned them of their spiritual condition. And it was a good thing because there were a lot of them who called themselves believers, followers of Christ, who had no idea what was actually going on in their lives. They were caught unaware by this letter, in fact. And the main message that the Laodiceans would tell us is, I wish I had known now. And this is the big idea that's in the back of your your bulletin on the study guide there. I wish I had known then that relying on my own resources produces produces blindness. Produces blindness to our own poverty. That's the big idea in your, in your, uh, in, on the back of the study notes there. Those three blanks. Relying on your own resources produces blindness to your own poverty. That's the main idea in this whole passage here. So let's, let's look at that because these are germane words for us. These are fitting words for us because Laodicea is modern day America, friends. We are living in Laodicea today. Some of us have been relying on our, our own resources, in fact, for so long, we're not even aware that we're spiritually poor and in need of help. That's, a, that's not a good place to be, Jesus says. Let's find out where we see that here. Read along in Revelation three, fourteen through 22, where Jesus calls us to see our blindness and to see him as our only resource. Look at this in Revelation three fourteen to 22. It says this, And to the angel of the church... In Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works. This is Jesus talking. Omniscient Jesus, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Strong words from the Savior. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now jump back to verse 14 here. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the true, faithful and true witness. Let's talk about Laodicea for just a minute, for a minute here. Uh, Laodicea was a very proud and a prosperous city. They had a thriving medical and textile industry, which we'll talk more about in just a minute. In A.D. 60, in fact, uh, they were pummeled by an earthquake. And instead of accepting the, the help of the Roman government financially, they said, we don't need your help. We got this. We can, we can construct our own city again. So it is this proud people to whom this letter was written, to whom John the Apostle relays this message from Christ. Second half of verse 14 says this, Write the words of the Amen. This is a title that implies that, that Christ's status is, is the full and the final judge. This is the Christ who finishes what he starts. That's what this sort of title here means in verse 14. He finishes what he starts. He's been doing that as the faithful and true witness, like it says, since the beginning of God's creation. That phrase here, by the way, about uh, Christ being God's, uh, the beginning of God's creation, doesn't mean that he was the first creation. It's, it's all together in a way in verse 14 of saying that Christ finishes what he starts. Uh, he started creation, he's going to finish it as the Amen because he is the faithful and true witness. So verse 15, it says, I know your works, this is Christ speaking to them, I know that you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He takes on their, their proud and self-sufficient uh, egos right from the start. Now, there were some hot springs about five miles from Laodicea. But by the time those hot springs came through the aqueduct to Laodicea, they were neither cold nor hot. They were lukewarm. In other words, the people of Laodicea who believed that they were following Jesus, as he called them to, were indifferent. They were lukewarm. They weren't cold. They weren't hot. Cold is good when it's hot, and hot is good when it's cold. Lukewarm is not good for a whole lot. And Jesus takes them to task for being good for not much. Faithful and true witnesses to Christ, like Christ himself, are good for demonstrating the goodness of God to people. And if you want an interesting study, go through all these letters and look at this idea of witness. All of these letters focus around this idea of witness to the outside world and witnessing to the work of Christ in one's own life. One who is alive gives witness. Those who are dead do not. Those who are worthy of being called a conqueror someday are those who repent. We've seen that word repentance throughout these letters time and again. Those who do not live lives of repentance, not just one time, but as a lifestyle. Those who don't repent of sin are those who are not worthy of being called a conqueror later on when Christ comes in final judgment. Go ahead and look at the... Uh, next part here in uh, verse 17 it says for you say for you say i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing not realizing in fact that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked 
the Laodiceans were so in love, so in love with the world and with their own resources and their own ingenuity and their own sufficiency. They were, they were self-sufficient. That they don't even know that they actually have nothing. They said, we need nothing. Jesus says, you have nothing. And when that's the case, when we finally realize we have nothing, then Jesus has us exactly where He wants us to be. Exactly where we truly need to be to finally and fully give ourselves to Christ in a way that changes our hearts. And here's something you can bank on, friends. (laughs) The circumstances of your lives, the circumstances of our lives are being used by God despite the fact that sin has entered the world to take us to the end of ourselves, to take us to this state of spiritual poverty. And, and, and if we are blind to it, we will not see the need for a Savior. But when we see it, when we know that we are spiritually poor, then Christ can do work in our hearts. But that has to be there first. You have to be able to say about yourself, unlike the Laodiceans, I am pitiable, I am poor, I am blind, I am naked. I got nothing. I got nothing without Jesus. And if you're not saying that, you still think you're rich enough. You still think, you still think you're going to be okay. Friend, don't say, I wish I knew then what I know now, someday in the future. These Laodiceans here were so in love with their resources that they were blind to their property. And that's what self-sufficiency does to people. It blinds us to the Lord as our only resource. It blinds us to the truth that we are indeed spiritual paupers who have no recourse but to fall on our faces before the Father and to admit sin and fault before Him and to recognize that He alone gives us hope and grace and mercy and life. That's what Jesus offers, starting in verse 18. He says this, I counsel you to buy from me, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. To be rich in Christ means to have everything you actually need. It means to know you're poor without him. And this is in contrast to verse 17. So in scripture, refined gold is a way of saying a life that is purified by removing sin. Refined gold, of course, has all the impurities removed from it so that it can be shiny, so that it can be a pure gold, so that it can be worth something, so that unlike lukewarm water, there's some value to it and it makes something happen with one's life. Job 23.10 is a cool verse that says that God knows the ways that I take. When He has tried me, I shall come out as gold. That's what Jesus is saying here. You need a life that is separated from the world's resources. You need to live a life that is separated from you and the world as your resource. And friends, we self-sufficient American believers who are fat and happy because we have made a life of thinking about ourselves and feeding ourselves. Seriously, think about this for a second. Most of us have been raised from birth by the world to feed and stroke our own egos as 
a matter of course in our lives. It's like an addiction to ourselves. Who needs Jesus? You've got every option you could ever imagine every time you go to the store. Who needs Jesus when on my phone I can order thousands upon thousands upon thousands of things without even having to leave the house? Options galore. All the information that I need is right here. Who needs Jesus when I've got my phone in my pocket? (laughs) It sounds silly, but it's how the world works when the world's resources are our addiction. Moving on here. He says this, verse 18, Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be truly rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Archaeological evidence shows us that Laodicea uh, was known for its textile industry and for its valuable dyeing of clothing, of coloring garments. So Jesus, of course, is saying here, trade all that, trade all that value for pure and unstained garments that will last. And those garments only come from me, he says. He's setting himself up as the real alternative source. Keep reading verse 14. It says, buy from me salve. That's like an ointment salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Salve is just a way to soothe something. Laodicea also was known for its uh, medical advancements. And apparently there was some sort of eye treatment uh, or ointment that, uh, that they had or had created. So, so Jesus is saying, seriously, eye ointment? The eye ointment hasn't helped you see that you're blind. The eye ointment hasn't helped you know that you are truly spiritually poor and need me yet. He's saying functionally, I got your eye ointment right here. They are so in love with themselves as idols that they don't know that they're poor. And even then, even in that state, grace is offered. Look at verse 19. If you have spiritual lives, this is a verse about grace that's offered to those whom he loves. In other words, Jesus is speaking this whole time, by the way, to Christians who are maturing, uh, who are not maturing, I'm sorry, they're not growing in their witness and faithfulness. It says this, verse 19, those whom I love, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Remember here that Jesus is speaking with Christians to believers. Uh, verse 20 is often used as an evangelistic verse for non-believers, and I don't think it is properly used that way properly. It's, this verse is about intimate fellowship with God because Christ wants to have fellowship with you. It's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus standing at the door of his own house as its master, expecting us as his servants to come quickly and to open the way for him to come and have fellowship with him. That's how much he wants to know and have fellowship with us. This is a picture of him wanting that fellowship with you. So friends, if you want true, true riches, here it is. Being with Christ will satisfy you forever. Simply put, relying on him as the ultimate and final ground of your being and your resource. Being with Christ forever is the only thing that will satisfy. And that's what verse 21 
speaks of when it says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He's saying, come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight is a great verse that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy burdened. He says, those of you who are heavy burdened, I can give you rest. I will be that resource. No other resource can do that. The world can't do that. Your relationships with other people cannot do that. You will learn to twist and manipulate all those things and idols of our lives that are less than Christ for the sake of trying to make Him Christ to you, and they won't be. Relationships can't be. Your job will not be. You working 80 hours a week cannot do it. Regardless of your idol, regardless of your resource, if it's not Jesus Christ alone, You cannot and will not know fellowship with Him forever that does satisfy. The one who is spiritually poor knows that those riches of Christ are purchased for us by His blood alone. Those riches for us The fact that we get the name conqueror someday comes alone by the power of Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life and then die for us on our behalf. So friends, that's what's offered here today in this service of worship. This is what's offered in the Word today. Satisfaction of a forever relationship with Jesus that is a resource that never ends and brings riches beyond what any of us could imagine. I hope that's in your future. I hope that like some of those Christians in Laodicea, none of us says, I wish I knew now. Wish I knew then what I know now. Let's pray together.